0: Strength for your spirit, balm for your heart. The Healing and Peace Show with Thomas Schmier, LMFT, where you get wise counsel based on sacred scripture, sacred tradition, and sound science. The Healing and Peace Show, your Catholic guide through the trials of life. Do you have any clue out there on how to go about dating from a Christian viewpoint? or even how to date at all. If you're like me, your parents sadly didn't teach you, no offense against them. I think it's not, parents just don't do it. And um, so this is a show today, an episode that's going to help you, if you're a parent, know how to teach your children how to go about dating from a Christian perspective. And also if you're a single, I think there's going to be some great advice about how to go about that. Today's guest is someone who helped me and uh, who basically, I, w- I didn't know what I was doing. And I basically was bumbling around and um, ended up with a wife that I'm very glad to have. And he has a lot to do with, with it. And he is a, uh, at least 13 years ago when I met him, he was an evangelist of the theology of the body and Christian uh, dating and courtship. And without further ado, I introduce Dave Sloan. Welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Tom. It's good to be with you.
0: Likewise. So, Dave, 13 years ago, I was on a Catholic singles cruise. I don't know if I was looking for love in all the wrong places or not, uh, but I didn't find my wife on that cruise. But I met you, and of all the places to give a chastity talk, you gave a talk to Christian Singles on that cruise. How did you get into doing that kind of thing?
1: Well, that's a great question. How did that happen? You know, it's a, the bottom line is that I fell in love with the theology of the body. I fell in love with John Paul II's teachings about what it means to love and what it means to try to be a gift to give ourselves away to others and his teaching about how that happens in marriage it's beautiful it's sublime it's poetic it's tremendously encouraging and like most singles i was in great need of some encouragement in that arena so when i found those teachings in first the first book love and responsibility he wrote that in 1960 before he was pope and then in the theology of the body which he published very shortly after he became pope I just wanted to spread that good news with others. And let me tell you one more thing in the interest of full disclosure. I thought it would be a good way to meet
0: chicks. (laughs) Yeah, I remember you saying to me once that being a chastity speaker did very well for you.
1: I met a lot of women. A lot of times I'd speak at these conferences, these Catholic singles conferences and other events, and the numbers were very favorable. The percentages were very good.
0: Yes, it's, it's an extra motivation to uh, um, foster the virtue of chastity within oneself.
1: We need all the motivation we can get.
0: Exactly. Uh, as far as you said, you needed a lot of encouragement. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Well, I guess I always wanted to be married. You know, I always wanted to be a husband and father from the time I was little. That's just what I wanted. That's how I saw myself and that's how I saw my life and that's not how it turned out I wound up uh, with a lot of brokenheartedness and uh, just to give the very very short short version of my story I got in a lot of trouble when I was a teenager got into uh, a lot of drugs and alcohol a lot of misbehavior with women and otherwise and spiraled down into a lot of shame and self-destruction addiction ultimately wound up homeless in my early 20s I got sober when I was 23 and uh, wound up a few years later in college and became a Catholic while I was in college. And all along the way through sobriety, through 12-step meetings, uh, through my discernment of the Catholic faith and becoming Catholic, committing myself uh, to trying to live a Christian life, I was seeking purity. I was seeking, I wanted to be a good guy. I didn't want to be the kind of jerk I used to be. I wanted to do better than that. And it was hard. Those are hard changes to make. So I'd be a good guy for a while, and then I'd be a jerk. But now I'd be the kind of jerky guy at church with the Christian women that I was meeting. So that's not good, you know. And then I wound up, maybe I'd be the guy leading the Bible study. And I was still misbehaving with women. And that didn't feel right. It didn't feel good. It was, it was a miserable a miserable way to live, and I'd be breaking people's hearts or getting my heart broken. And that's just how my life in dating and courtship went for just many, many years. Uh, So when I found this beautiful explanation of all of those struggles, a beautiful explanation of the problem and of the solution offered by John Paul II, I really embraced it.
0: What's the problem and the solution?
1: Well, the problem is that first of all, we, you know, we've all been wounded in various ways along the way. None of us get through this life without having our hearts broken in various ways. We get wounded as children. We get wounded as teenagers. We get wounded as adults. And then we become wounders who go through life wounding others as well. There's a lot of shame with that. With the woundedness and the wounding that we do to others, there's a lot of shame that we carry with us. And we repress it in various ways, suppress it in various ways. I'm sure you encounter a lot of that experience in your practice. That's probably a big part of what you do is help people cope with that shame that they've repressed. So particularly in the area of dating and courtship and in the area of our sexuality, the shame maybe strikes deeper. It runs deeper. We repress it more. Uh, So we need an answer which is powerful enough to what John Paul II calls absorb the shame. Beautiful concept, one of his most profound concepts is the notion that pure love, real love, true love, honest love, love that is love, has the power to absorb shame, and that only that kind of love has the power to absorb shame. So the solution is to avail ourselves of the graces that God offers us so that we can love in the kind of a way that absorbs shame. We can share that kind of love with someone else who also has the capacity to love that way. Not perfectly. We don't have to be perfect. But we have to avail ourselves of the the graces that God offers and receive the love that absorbs shame and give the love that absorbs shame.
0: And I think you really do that, you know, taking the graces. I remember I came to pick you up outside of a church in Costa Mesa. You know, I don't know where, where I was, but I was kind of your wheels. And, uh, you know, you not being from California. And uh, when I came to you, you were sitting on a, I don't know if you call it a ledge or whatever. Um, and you had your Bible next to you, your eyes closed, and you were taking in the sunlight. And you're totally, I think you were totally there. And is that part of your spirituality?
1: That's a great question. I think that the real heart of the Christian life is about being actively receptive to God's love. We are receivers of God's love. We get wrapped up in all these things that we think we're supposed to do. But in the end, we're not here to do all those things. We're here to receive God's love. He's the giver, we're the receiver. Jesus tells the woman at the well, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is speaking to you, then you would ask and he would give. So I think that actively disposing ourselves to receive God's love in every way, in every place, all the time, that's the goal. Now here what I'm talking to you, this is not a goal that I perfectly achieved, but this is the goal. If God wants to share his love with me by raining down sunshine upon me, then I want to receive that. I want to dispose myself to that. If he wants to do it by putting me in a beautiful place like Southern California, then I want to get out and participate. If he wants to give me a a bicycle and a chance to ride it, then I want to ride it. If he wants to give me a walk in the woods, I want to receive that. If he wants to give me a smiling face at Starbucks and a chance to talk to the barista there and share some kindness with that barista. Whatever it is, and I would say nature and the people around me are two of the primary ways that it gives me the opportunity to receive his love. My job is to be disposed to receive that, to be looking for it, to be open to it, to be receptive to it.
0: What you said is so beautiful, and you know, if, if you make me cry on the show, I'm gonna be mad at you. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's some things I wanna to get to, I have to get to, I don't want this episode to end And I didn't get to these things because they were huge for me, huge. I can't stress it enough. One is your advice to date someone with high standards. Do you mind explaining that?
1: Sure. Well, I think John Paul II warns us against false love. And it's not a judgmental disposition that we're looking at someone and trying to find ways to criticize them or reject them. But marital love nuptial love is reciprocal in its nature and it can't just be unconditional it isn't possible for only one party to love and have nuptial love or marital love that love has to be what john paul ii calls we have to have the interpenetration of the gift when the giving becomes receiving and the receiving becomes giving this is marital love this is the love where we become one flesh Or we are no longer two, but one only. And so we have to find someone who's capable of that. Otherwise, we can wind up in a false love. We can wind up trying to get someone to do what they can't do. We can wind up trying to take from someone what they can't give. We might even wind up trying to appropriate from someone that which is not truly ours because we have not reached that stage, because we're not married, because we're not one. And so we are, if we're not married, if we're not one, then we are truly uh, interacting in a conditional way. This is not unconditional. This is, I'll give to you as long as I can get back from you uh, more than I'm giving. and Or I'll try to protect myself while I pretend that I'm giving to you so that I don't get hurt too badly if you wind up not being able to give back. So we want to find someone who has this capacity for love. Someone in John Paul II, would call it someone who is free to love. Someone who is in a state of freedom such that they can give themselves away. At the end of the day, whoever's listening to this, if you don't remember anything else, just remember that we're put in here in this world to receive the gift of God and to be that gift to others. And only someone who is receiving that gift can give that gift. So we're looking for someone who's capable of receiving the gift that we give and who's capable of giving the gift of themselves.
0: As part of that, of setting the high standards, is it so that that if we're not loving basically capable of reciprocal love that we are getting rejected you know and then we can go back and work on ourselves in in the meantime and then try again with someone else is that part of it
1: sure we want to it's we're not talking about perfection here we're not holding people to some impossible standard but God's grace is real and it's available to us all and we can receive his love we can receive Forgiveness we can receive healing whatever it is that we think made us unlovable or incapable of loving all of that can be healed All of that can be made new and we can become capable of giving to another person But only if that person is capable of giving in return. Right, right
0: totally makes sense and for, for me, it was just you know I had to go out there and get rejected by various women and work on myself go to daily mass, you know Pray the rosary, these kinds of things, um, just whatever it takes to improve myself. So that was huge for me because, um, you know, I had to, I, I finally became worthy of going on a first date with the person who became my wife. And uh, it has a lot to do with your advice. So thank you very much for that. Oh, I'm
1: very happy that it turned out so well for you.
0: We are the original, the OEs, the original evangelists. Uh, we're getting older, and uh, but back in the day, it was you know we were out preaching theology of the body, and I think uh, um, well that that I'm married and happy says something. And so tell us about you, where where you're at these days.
1: So to bring you up to speed a little bit, I was doing all these talks on dating and courtship all over the place, and I was getting older, and I wasn't getting married, and in my late forties. I got rather, uh, I mean, I was disappointed, I was despondent, I was discouraged, I was lonely, whatever you want to call it, all of those things that people go through. But I also felt like, you know, I'm not a great example of what it is that I'm preaching and teaching because everybody coming to these conferences and everybody coming to these talks wants to get married. I'm not promising anybody they're going to get married. I'm promising everyone that they can grow closer to God through their dating and courtship. That's a 100% promise. I can guarantee you that. I can guarantee you that you can date and you can court and you can do so fearlessly. And you can be totally confident that you'll grow closer to God. And if you date someone who has the same, same motivation, you can be totally confident that you can help each other grow closer to God. Because we know that's his goal. So if we share his goal, we know we can achieve it. So I wasn't promising anyone they'd get married. But nonetheless, that's what they were looking for, <laughs> as was I. Uh, Hopefully that wasn't my first goal, but it was a close second, right? So when it wasn't happening for me, I felt like, you know, I just had, I got to hang up my dating and courtship guru shoes and uh, go to go find something else to do. And so I took down the website and I stopped giving the talks, stopped promoting that material. I felt like I aged out of it and uh, went about living my life, shifted my focus more to work with the poor, work with the homeless, something I've always done. some level but i shifted my focus more to that and uh and then at some point uh, my bride came along and as a matter of fact i was at the cathedral in atlanta and she asked somebody she's from ukraine she was here working as an au pair and she asked somebody how she could get involved with service with the poor and that person brought her to me and that's how we met and then we got to know each other on our first date i gave her a copy of love and responsibility because I wanted her to know that, A, I'm kind of serious about this. And B, I'm not going to be misbehaving with you. I'm going to treat you in the way that's described in this book. I want you to have that confidence. So John Paul II's teachings were integral at every stage of dating and courtship. And I think ultimately that I didn't have a lot of money to offer. I didn't have a lot of success to offer. I wasn't speaking in front of groups of people. I didn't have any of that to offer. Um, But I did have the capacity to love her in the way that she wanted to be loved and, frankly, in the way that the other Catholic guy she was meeting at church weren't treating her that way. They weren't treating her the way she should be treated. And so when she found someone who would, that made an impression.
0: Yes, I remember you were doing... uh, It was based... If I thought of a kind of a slogan, it would be God of Desire. I mean, you were, that was something you really promoted, was this concept of God as the God of Desire. And then and you had GodOfDesire.com, is that right?
1: Sure. God of Desire was the name that I was using for the dating and courtship program that I was teaching. And the, prince, the premise there is that John Paul II teaches that attraction and desire are of the essence of love. And so God wants to fulfill our desires. And the psalm tells us that if we delight in the Lord, that he will grant the desires of our hearts. So it's a positive message that John Paul II teaches. And I try to present it in a positive way. It's not about don't do this, don't do that, because bad things will happen. It's not about set boundaries and then set more boundaries and then set more boundaries. Because that's not John Paul II's message. His message is that we can be free to love without fear. That's a powerful message. So if you're a guy, you can see some gal at church that you're interested in and wonder if you should pursue her, and you can pursue her confidently and fearlessly when you're living these, teaches, these teachings. You don't have to have fear. If you're dating, you can date fearlessly. If you're a gal wondering if you should say yes to this guy, what if you should give him a chance? If you're living these principles that John Paul II teaches, you can love without fear. There's nothing to be afraid of. You're doing precisely what God put you here in this world to do. And we shouldn't have to carry all that fear with us. Two things that really uh, I would like to have, uh, set people free from. One is all this fear around dating and courtship and love. I can't make anybody be completely fearless because we have reason to be afraid. We've all been hurt and we've all we all have reason to have some fear, but it doesn't need to rule our lives and it doesn't need to prevent us from loving and from having joy in interacting with somebody to whom we're attracted, we should be able to rejoice in these things, celebrate these things and claim boldly the confidence of the life that God offers us. Whoops.
0: Oh, did we get a bad connection here?
1: Yeah. We're, we're back. That My phone rang and so it came in on the iPad. I don't know why it does that, but uh, so we should be able to make this bold claim And step out in this bold confidence that we can love fearlessly. And another thing, now that I'm married, that I can share with single people is if you live out these teachings that John Paul II gave us, this great prophet of love, marriage is better than -hmm. you're thinking it's going to be. It's better than you're hoping it's going to be. The graces that come with the sacrament are more powerful than we're anticipating because we're surrounded in the world by people that are not doing these things God's way. They're not reaping these fruits and benefits and blessings. So our understanding of what marriage is, is not nearly as positive, optimistic as it should be. We should have much, much greater expectations of the graces that come with the sacrament. And if we look to the model of the couples around us that are living according to God's plan, then we will have those kinds of expectations. So be more optimistic about what you can expect from marriage, from being with someone who's faithful, not perfect, but who's faithful, open to those graces, and participating in those graces with you. Have high, high, high expectations of God's part in this. Not that we can get together and make it great, but that we can get together and God will make it great.
0: That's great. And where you started with the God of Desire piece, uh, and you kind of ended with the God of Desire piece too but going back to when you're dating before I met you I thought the only way to be chased was if you have a girlfriend she sits in one chair and you sit in the other chair you you can't sit next to each other on the couch because that could lead to something and then you talked about uh, actually sharing affection it was you and uh, Father Morrow who I think you know the author of the uh, book used to be called the uh, Christian courtship in an oversex world you both introduced this idea that there there should be affection or at least if you want to have affection while you're dating that's a that's totally valid so can you tell us a little bit about that
1: so attraction and desire are of the essence of love and banishing those things is foolhardy and i know that a lot of times people they've been hurt or they've done the wrong thing and they've gotten in trouble and they're trying to do better now and they try to do better by setting more strict boundaries and then if that doesn't work they try to set more strict boundaries If that doesn't work they try to set more strict boundaries well ultimately the only thing that can protect is to have a heart with the of the other and has had some practice and it's good for the so all about the condition of our hearts so, so I want to give people a couple of suggestions uh, when it comes to physical closeness in dating and courtship One is don't put your trust, don't put all your trust in boundaries because they'll let you down. They're not capable of doing what you need them to do, doing what you're hoping they will do. They can't do that. So a couple things. One is a standard, a criterion that you can use is there's a big difference between affection and lust. And if you pay attention and you discern and you pray, you can tell when you're being affectionate and you can tell when you're being lustful. And when you feel yourself crossing that boundary from affection into lust, now you know that this is a time that you need to be careful, that you need to maybe have some alarm bells going off. Another guide that you can use is, prayer is wonderful to share in dating and courtship. You can pray at all times, you can pray in all places. You can pray while you're doing this, that, and the other. And if you get in a situation where you're doing anything, that makes you not want to pray, that's something that you don't need to be doing. So you should be able to pray if you're, regardless of what you're doing, with the person that you're dating, you should be able to pray right slap-dab in the middle of it. If you're not in the habit of doing that, work on that habit, develop that habit. And if anything's going on that makes you feel like, I don't want to pray right now, you don't need to be doing it.
0: Very good advice. And then I remember some other advice that had to do with praying. Uh, it had something to do with stealing intimacy and it was something about you say it better than me but something about the moonlight after the after a, a Bible study and it's on the on the uh, against the trunk of a car I don't, I don't remember how you say sure
1: it. that was about uh, life in the snuggle zone when the three-quarter cuddle with a semi snuggle seamlessly segues into the full frontal snuggle huddle well Physical closeness speaks a language. The body speaks a language. The man's body speaks a language. The woman's body speaks a language. When those bodies come together, they speak a language. And we want to have that language that we speak with our bodies be consistent with the language that we speak with our mouths and with the language that's in our hearts. We want to have integrity. We want to have wholeness in the way that we interact and we don't wanna take from somebody that which isn't ours. There's a certain kind of closeness that two people have, which first of all, I think we may have been talking about the question of exclusivity. You know, when is dating exclusive? When when should it be exclusive? When can it not be exclusive? Well, there's a certain kind of closeness that you get to with a person that you definitely don't wanna be getting to with more than one person. So that's something to be attentive to and not prematurely Having a kind of closeness with somebody with whom you may not even know if you're in an exclusive relationship. On our first date, you're not in an exclusive relationship. Second date, third date, maybe you don't know yet. You don't want to have a closeness physically, which says something about your relationship, which may not be true, which may not be honest. And you don't want to have a closeness, a physical union, which speaks of unity, which speaks of oneness, if that's not in fact the case. If you have a conditional relationship, a contingent relationship. Before we're married, at least before we're engaged, when we get engaged, we make a promise. And the status of that promise, I think, might be not entirely clear, but it's a promise. But before that, our relationship is conditional. It's contingent. I'm going to stay with you if. But there's a kind of closeness between people that speak something different. That's not contingent. It says, I'm with you. I'm yours. You're mine so we don't want to take that kind of intimacy from someone with whom we're not truly one.
0: It's beautiful. I love that respect. You have some advice for men on the Christian dating scene. I guess uh, I think women can identify with what I'm about to say, that men are not asking the women out. And that, it's still a problem today. <laughs> I don't know. We, gotta get, we have to get the message out. What's your advice for men? What, what do you think they need to be doing these days?
1: Well, it's a very, very difficult challenge all the way around, across the board. One reason men might not ask women out is they might not tell the truth when they answer. They might say yes when they mean no. They might say maybe when they mean no. Uh, so that doesn't help. I'm not trying to put all the onus on women. Uh, a lot, another reason is because there's a stigma associated with everything related to the sexes in the church. There's fear. Uh, there's, uh, people are afraid of being accused of, uh, of having a hookup culture or being a part of a hookup scene or, or being, just being there because they want to find somebody to date. Or guys may get a reputation for pursuing all the women, all these kinds of things. We don't have a comfort around dating and courtship that we used to have in our culture. The culture used to be very comfortable with it because people dated and courted, they got married and had families and everybody understood what was going on. Now you have something very different happening and people are not comfortable with it. So I would say uh, to the men, as far as them having, uh, I would say read John Paul II's writings or read the writings of others who explain and unpack them and practice living in a way which is good for the person. Like one thing I'll tell friends of mine that I know have ch- are chased in the way they live, guys that I know are living a chaste life and are committed to that and are capable of doing it, is that every woman you ask out, you're doing a favor. You're doing her a favor because you're going to treat her in a way that's good for her, that respects her. No matter what she does, no matter what happens, if she rejects you right out, if she goes out with you for a week or a month or what have you, but you're going to show her the way a woman should be treated. That's a good thing. That's good for her. There's nothing bad about that. Nothing bad can happen. We need to overcome the fear that something bad is going to happen here. When we're doing God's will and pursuing our spouse, nothing bad is going to come from that. So fearless love is John Paul II's promise. Fearless love. Guys are supposed to be able to You know, be linebackers, kill dragons, all of these things. We shouldn't be terrified to ask someone on a date and uh, practice doing it. You know, the more the merrier. It's it's something that's very difficult to do when you're not in the habit of doing it. So practice doing it as long as your motives are good, as long as your motives are to treat this woman in a way that's going to help her get to heaven. That's it. That's your first goal. Second goal is to find out if she might be the person for you to marry. First goal, I'm going to treat her in a way that helps you get to heaven. Second goal, I'm going to find out if maybe she's the person that God wants me to marry.
0: I like that a lot. Can people still get a dating license from your website?
1: You know, I took that website down, you know, uh, like I told you um, about 10 years ago, uh, yeah. nine years ago, something like that. And, and I just stopped promoting all the dating and courtship stuff because i felt like i was not an adequate model a role model for it
0: bad because you you know that stuff was great
1: and uh, thank you
0: yeah that's why this i think a lot of people are going to watch this episode is a lot of people don't know about you you know they back in the day they did but now they don't know about you this message is needed people are craving it i just i know it because you know people i treat uh, some catholic young adults and and they need the same stuff today that they needed 13 years ago.
1: So if I, if I could say something, you asked me what guys could do. And I'd like to say something encouraging to men and women that are single. My heart is, I have a, a heart that has tremendous compassion and care for singles in the church. The church doesn't do a good job of embracing singles, making singles feel welcome. It's very, very difficult to be single in the society, to be single in the Catholic church. It's very, very difficult. And so I'd like to offer a little bit of encouragement. When I was single, I set myself a goal. I didn't achieve this goal. but It was a good goal to pursue. Pursuing it helped me tremendously. And the goal was to be active in my church and to be of service in my church. And when I say church, I mean anywhere that there's an opportunity to be a part of the Christian life together with others. To do that to the same extent for as many hours a week as I would spend with my family if I were married with children. How many hours would I spend with my family? Well, that's how many hours I should spend with my church community. That's how many hours I should spend loving and serving others and being a part of the church. That's the best antidote for all of this mess. Having a a program and a regimen and following certain steps and all of those things, that's fine, but that's not the point. The point is we love and serve and we live our lives as part of God's church and we belong there. And we follow that path to paradise, and we can be confident in that path. We can be confident in God's goodness. The dating courtship stuff is going to be mysterious, difficult. We're not going to know all the answers there. Maybe it's going to work out like we want. Maybe it's not. Um, But we can be very confident that throwing ourselves into service in the church is going to bear great fruit. And that's what you're looking for in a spouse is somebody who's doing that. You're looking for somebody who's living that way. My wife was doing that. When I met her, my life was living a life of devoted service to God and his people, even though she didn't have time for any of that. She was too busy. She was going to school and working full time. She was still finding time to love and serve in the context of the church. That's how she found me. She asked somebody, how can I get involved in serving the poor? That's how she found me. So Mm -hmm. I was the, the one that she was brought to and the answer to that. So that's how I found her. That I would strongly encourage folks and that's where you want to that's your best chance to find the person that you're looking for is someone who's really devoted to loving and serving others in the church
0: totally makes sense I, I realize it in retrospect I mean I just followed your advice to, to date someone with high standards and I married someone who at the time was uh, teaching underprivileged children and then also in her spare time besides doing spiritual practices um, she was uh, a, you know Volunteering to sing in the choir too so I, I did everything you're saying is clicking, you know, so this is great advice uh, we've run out of time for day for today, and I don't want to uh, capitalize on your time but definitely if you're willing I definitely want to have you back because people need what you're telling us
1: Well, I enjoyed it and it's great to catch back up with you
0: Thank you. Thank you. Um, is there anything you want? Do you have a website for people or an email address or anything you want to? You just-
1: know- Doing. I'm not in a position to really uh, engage folks that way at this time. I would send folks to John Paul II's Writings and Teachings, and I would send them to the Theology of the Body Institute.
0: Okay, great. Perfect. Perfect. So, so I just want to thank you for uh, spending time with us here today, Dave.
1: It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: If you're looking for Catholic life coaching or therapy services that are informed and inspired by Theology of the Body, check out my website at healingandpeace.com. I offer Catholic life relationship and family coaching worldwide and Catholic therapy services for individuals, couples and families in about six US states and in certain countries that honor my California license. To stay informed about future shows, subscribe to my e-newsletter that can be found at healingandpeace.com blog. And you can also easily find my social media handles at healingandpeace.com and healingandpeace.com slash blog. I'm licensed marriage and family therapist, Thomas Schmier, and you've been listening to the Healing and Peace show. Until next time, may God bless you with healing and peace.